Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. I want to once again welcome you to our series that we have been studying over the last several weeks on attitudes. And I hope and trust that this study has been a help to you. And if you are finding us for the very first time, you actually are jumping in on uh, session 10 of this series. And so if you want to go back and pick up from the beginning, those recordings should be available for you. And, and you might want to go back and and take a look at those if you're kind of jumping into this study uh, in the middle. And uh, uh, we would invite you to do that. We also want to just thank those of you that have been joining us each and every week. We thank you for the privilege once again to just take a little bit of time here in the middle of your week to, uh, to speak to you from Scripture and to share some thoughts from, from God's Word. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've been uh, kind of intrigued over the last few weeks, last week or so, just talking to different people as we are still working through the pandemic that we are continuing to face here in our, in our country and, in fact, around the world. And a lot of folks still a little hesitant to be out and about and still a little hesitant because of various reasons to be in public places. And so we are so thankful that we have this opportunity to just minister to you right in your home or wherever you may be watching us. And we want to continue to be able to do that. And uh, we just thank you for, for tuning in tonight. I do want to invite you, if you are finding us for the first time, down in the comment section, there is an opportunity for you to fill out some information to send in to us. And uh, all we are going to do with that information is follow up with you. And, and there may be some questions you have about our church, about our ministry. And we would just love the opportunity to talk to you a little bit more. You can also visit our website at gracenc.org. And on the website, there's a, there's a contact button. You can also email us through our website, or you can also telephone us as well. And we would love to hear from you. And again, answer any questions about our ministry that you have. I also want to take just a, um, a moment and thank you once again for your continued financial support. Even during this period of time, we have... Uh, been blessed with how God has continued to meet our needs here in our ministry so we can provide content like this for you and also continue to offer our um, on-site ministries as well. So we're so thankful for that. If you would like to give to the work of our ministry, you can go to that website I just mentioned a moment ago, gracenc.org, and click on the Give button, and you are able to give to us, uh, to our ministry, uh, through our website. We're going to jump in tonight to our next kind of negative attitude. We have been looking at attitudes that we kind of tend to fall into because of our sinfulness. And so we're looking at a sinful attitude. And then the following week, we are looking at a positive or Christ-like attitude following the New Testament model that we are to put off the works of the flesh, put off those things that displease God, and put on those attitudes that, that please the Lord. If you have not watched the very first session, I just want to reiterate this uh, very essential point going all the way back to session number one, and we'll return to this point at the end on the very last session in about two or three weeks or so. We'll end this, this series, and I want to remind us that our attitudes really are a choice, and it may not feel that way. I had a phone call this morning. Uh, we are recording this today, and uh, this morning I had a unexpected phone call, as you so often get in ministry, and my attitude needed adjustment. And maybe sometimes your attitude needs that as well, because I was a little frustrated 
uh, with something that happened this morning. So we all live there. We all have those moments where we just have to pause and make sure that our attitudes are in line with Scripture. We have been looking at some Old Testament texts, particularly around the children of Israel and Moses, because there are so many examples in 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 Exodus, Numbers, and those those passages where we find this pattern of behavior on the people of Israel that they seem to fall into some very real sinful attitudes. And we're going to look at an Old Testament story that takes place in Numbers chapter 16. And I will tell you this, I was looking at this before we began filming today, this is a very long account. This is a very long story. We are not going to cover this entire chapter, uh, but I would invite you to read it and uh, you, you can understand how this, these events happen uh, later, what the end of the story is. But we're going to look at the first 11 verses or so of Numbers chapter 16. And we're looking at today the attitude of rebellion. Rebellion is an attitude that rejects authority. And when we reject human authority, we are, in fact, rejecting God. Now, it's not to say that authority can't um, be questioned at times or that authority doesn't need accountability. We are certainly not saying that. We are certainly not arguing that. Uh, there are times that um, in fact, before we began filming, uh, myself and one of the other gentlemen were talking about uh, sometimes in our country, things that people want is power and control. That's what they're after. And in fact, number 16 is really about the same old story, power and control. And so there is something in us that tends to rebel against human authority. And when we do that, we are actually rebelling against God himself. Rebellion, by the way, is knowing what God has called us to do or what God has commanded us to do and refusing anyway. One of the clear examples in Scripture of a outright rebellious attitude was really that of the prophet Jonah. When Jonah gave, uh, excuse me, God gave Jonah a very clear commandment to go to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah looked at God figuratively and looked at God and said, I'm not doing that, and instead went in the complete opposite direction. So that really is the mindset of a rebellious heart is that we know what we should do. We know what God has called us to do. We know what God has commanded us to do, but we just refuse to do it. We don't do the right thing. And in a sense, God can't make me and no one else can either. Rebellion has been in the condition of mankind since the fall. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, all of humanity has fallen into this mindset of having a rebellious attitude. Those of us with kids, I have three children and um, my kids are, are getting older now. And uh, a couple of them are in high school, upper high school. And we have seen this in all three of our children. There's different areas in which they show rebellion, where they are asked to do one thing and they refuse, or they do something completely opposite of what we ask them to do. It's an outright rebellious spirit. So let's jump into number 16, and we're going to look at an, an, an example of rebellion that is a common uh, story that you may be quite familiar with. And again, we're not going to have time in this session to study the entire chapter, 
But let's look at the groundwork of rebellion. I'm going to just kind of skim through verse 1. I won't read every, every word, but we see this. Now, Korah, who is a son of Levi, okay, and he gives, verse 1 gives you his lineage. But notice he is a son of Levi, and he re- rec- recruits Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab. And it says that the last uh, couple of words that I'm reading from ESV today, they took men, verse 2, and they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron And they said to them, you have gone too far for all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? All right, let's let's take a look at the at the groundwork of this rebellion for a couple of moments. First of all, we have to put Moses in a historical context here. He is about 80 years old. When this account happens during his years of leadership, we know that Modus, uh, Moses rather had experienced multiple challenges to his leadership. In fact, even Miriam and Aaron had challenged Moses. Number 16, we have another attack on Moses's leadership and Aaron this time by a man by the name of Korah, who wins to himself a bunch of allies. And he wins these people to his cause. And Moses is here as a leader among the people. And Korah is going to stand against Moses. Now, as I pointed out in verse 1, Korah, while it gives us more of his lineage, we want to notice that he was a descendant of Levi, but he was not a priest. Okay, He was not a priest. And so he is joined by these other men that the Scripture here name for us. We see uh, Dathan and Abiram and also 250 other leaders. I want you to understand that these men were not outliers in society. They were very much noble men. They were men who had, listen to this, they already had positions of leadership. They already had places in which God had called them and placed them to be leaders. But at the heart of this rebellion was a very real sense for Korah and these 250 plus men that the place that God had placed them and where God had put them, it wasn't good enough for them. And so they began to become discontent. They feel Uh, frustration against Moses, and so they want more responsibility, more authority, more control, whatever was driving their heart, that they now lay a charge against Moses, and they they say to him, you, Moses, have gone too far. Now, notice the accusation, by the way. Excuse me. It says in in verse 3, it says, you have gone too far. For all of the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Now, let, let's stop there for a moment and ask this question. Korah here is not actually wrong. 
in the sense that everyone, if, if you're a believer in God and you are a person who has put your faith in, in Christ, we know that in a sense we are all holy. There is, in a sense, a equality of value because we know God. We are all holy. And so Korah and his allies are getting to this accusation against Moses that they are asking, why, why Moses, do you place yourself above us? Why are you in this place of authority? Actually, if you look down at verse number 7, uh, we find here uh, that Moses actually says to them that they have gone too far. Notice verse 7, put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one you have gone too far, sons of Levi. Notice this kind of back and forth between this challenge to Moses's authority that Moses tells these men that they also have gone too far. Now, again, I want to be kind of clear about the fact that there is an element of truth in this claim and that all people of God are God's people, that they are set apart for God's work. However, Moses and Aaron had a different function to fulfill within their position of leadership over the people. All of the people were of the same essence, but they did not have the same function. They did not have the same position. Really, what we have here is petty, insecure people that are trying to rise up against Moses' leadership, and they come up against them. Now, before we move on past these first three verses, is we want to notice that the verb here that says they came up, this was a group effort. This was well-organized. This took time to put together. This took time to get people in one accord to be able to stand up against Moses and to push back against his leadership. Now, let's notice what Moses does in response. We already read verse 7, but let's read a few verses before that. And notice in verse 4, the text says, When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Now, that's an interesting response. We don't know, by the way, how long Moses stayed in this position. But what is curious to me is Moses does not react. He doesn't have this initial reaction to this rebellion. Instead, he falls on his face and he says to Korah and all of his company, in the morning, <clears throat> the Lord will show who he is and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censors, Korah, and all the company. By the way, the censors were for the priests, and, and Korah is not a priest. So that's an interesting, that's an interesting direction that Moses, Moses gives. He says, put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord and tomorrow. Uh, and the Lord whom the, and the man whom, excuse me, and the man whom, the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far. So again, we see that this baseless accusation is met with Moses falling on his face. And he says to them, grab a censer, which was a pole that on the end was used to carry coals in worship. It would have fire in them, incense. Again, this is remarkable because the priests were the ones who were given 
the responsibility <clears throat> of holding these censors. So Moses has this reaction and says, look, let's let God decide this. Let's bring this before God. Notice what, happen what happens in verse 8. And Moses said to Korah, hear now, you, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister them? Verse 9 is a very important uh, verse to notice what is going on here when Moses says, isn't it enough for you? In other words, isn't this a little thing? Is it nothing? Korah and your, and your cohorts here, is it nothing that the Lord has marked you out for a distinct position in the entire community for special work for God's pleasure? You see, these men were already in a position of special leadership and service to God, but it wasn't good enough for them. They were not content with where God had placed them. Notice the text goes on in verse 10, and that he has brought you near him and your, and your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Are you pressing for more authority, for a higher level of position? Verse 11, therefore, it is against the Lord that you and your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? Now, again, we won't have time to go through the rest of this event, but we know that Korah and his cohorts, they are held accountable and God judges them for this rebellion. So we have to understand a couple of issues that we want to take note of here in this text is that rebellion in this case against Moses, who was a human leader, and we'll talk more about submitting to human leadership next week and ultimately submitting to God's leadership next week. Rather than having a rebellious heart, we need to have a submissive heart, and we'll talk about that in our next session. But I want you to see that God understands, understand this, God creates all people equally. All people have the same essence. However, God does call and equip certain people to be in positions of leadership. It's not that Aaron was less important than Moses. As we studied the rebellion and against Moses at Miriam, when Miriam spoke out against him, it wasn't because she was a woman or it wasn't because she was of less value than Moses that Moses had this position of authority. It was God who placed him in that position. And, and I would argue that throughout the Bible, we see this singularity of leadership, that there was one person that was placed in a position of authority. It doesn't mean that that person is better than everybody else. As Korah points out, everyone is holy in God's sight. Those who, as a New Testament believer, if those who put their faith in Christ for all of those, they are holy. Because I'm a pastor of a church doesn't make me more valuable than somebody else. It doesn't make me more important than somebody else. It doesn't make me holier than somebody else. It just simply means that God places certain people in authority. Now, Moses was the ultimate human authority. 
But it is not to say that Korah and these others didn't have authority too. They had positions of leadership. They didn't practice humility in their positions of leadership. It was never good enough. Let's use kind of a corporate example for just a moment. I, I was in the corporate world, the hospital world for a number of years, and there were people that had a stated agenda to work their way up the corporate ladder, and they really were not concerned with who they stepped on to get there. They really were not worried about what they had to do to get to the position that they wanted. And so for them, it was about achieving a higher level of control, a higher level of power. Um, I've seen this in churches where an assistant pastor or a deacon or someone tries to win a, an audience with a group of people within the church to divide it so that they can take over authority and control. So this happens whether it's in a church context or in a business context or in a community context, political context. Uh, we're just a few days away at the recording of this, of our election. We know that there is this sense of power and control. Korah and his friends wanted more power. They wanted more control. And rather than humbly serving in their place of service that God had given them with a heart of humility, they chose to rebel against Moses, and ultimately they were rebelling against God. Now, why is this? Well, rebellion is in the heart of every man, woman, and child. None of us, if we're honest, particularly like being told what to do. We like to do our own thing. We want to do things the way that we want to do them. And rather than submit to Moses' leadership, Korah wins a group, wins a hearing, and they orchestrate a well-organized rebellion against Moses, an understanding that this rebellion was ultimately against God. And I want to say this before we get into our final applications here in just a moment of this text. I want to make this clear because this will become important when we talk about submitting to human authority next week. All mankind, mankind is equal in essence, but we are not the same in function. God calls different people to different positions for his purposes and for his glory. So as we wrap up in the next few minutes tonight, I want to challenge you and have you think through in your own heart, where are you rebellious? Where do you tend to not take direction or like being told what to do? Let me, let me offer some suggested reasons why you may be struggling with this. Because you might say, well, I, okay, Jay, I, I appreciate it and I'm going to stop being rebellious. Okay, that's great. But we have to understand what drives our tendency to be rebellious. Let me give you a few suggestions. First, that, that uh, rebellion is often um, orchestrated or promoted by our own arrogance. We sometimes minimize the cost and burden of leadership. It's easy. I've been, I've been assist, I've been an assistant pastor. I've been an assistant director in a hospital. I've been in those kind of second chair positions, and it's very easy to forget and understand what ultimately rests on the shoulders of a leader. When Korah rebels against Moses. 
don't think he fully comprehended the weight of the burden of that leadership. Um, I think of the verses in Ecclesiastes where it talks about the workers that work for the owner of the business. They go home and sleep well at night, but the owner is up pacing the floor because he's carrying the burden of that. And this arrogance is seen in Korah. They didn't understand the burdens that Moses was bearing. And rather than support him and help him, they chose to rebel against him. What else, the second thing that drives our rebellion is jealousy. Korah became very jealous of Moses and coveted Moses's position. And here's what Korah was thinking. I can do it better. I can do it better than you. I can be more successful than you. And I deserve it. So he became very jealous of Moses. We also see in this example of Korah, we see an example of ungratefulness. Korah was already in a position of, of leadership, of service. He should have been grateful for where God had placed him and be faithful with where God had placed him. And in God's timing, it may have been that God would see fit to promote Korah to a greater position of leadership, to a greater position of influence. But as we know, Korah doesn't get a chance to do that if you read through the rest of the text. We also see in Korah uh, an attitude of disloyalty. He spent a lot of time and energy winning two, over 250 people to his cause. Imagine if he had invested that energy into helping Moses be successful. What would have happened? Imagine if Korah had taken all that time and energy and rather than investing it in disloyalty and invested it in his own ministry, in his own area of service, in his own area of leadership, I would argue that the people of Israel would have been far better off if, if Korah had, had put this time and energy into being loyal to Moses, but more importantly, uh, being loyal to God and to God's purposes. We also see, number five, in Korah, we see an attitude of stubbornness. We often don't like to confess our sin, and we see this even in Korah. There was an attitude of stubbornness in his attitude. We also see, finally, we see an attitude of distrust. Korah didn't trust Mo Moses. They didn't trust Moses' judgment. They didn't trust Moses' Moses' leadership. They didn't trust Moses' character. And so because they don't trust Moses, they orchestrate this rebellion. Now, in an ideal world, I would say this. If Korah legitimately had a concern about Moses' leadership, understanding no leader is perfect, that a private conversation would have been appropriate. But instead, Korah wins a hearing, wins a following, and causes destruction and causes actually a lot of people to be judged by God. In closing, we have to understand that all of us, to some degree, have remnants of rebellion in our hearts. And no matter what may be driving that rebellion, whether it's arrogance or jealousy or ungratefulness or disloyalty or stubbornness or distrust, whatever may be driving this attitude of rebellion, we need to take an assessment of our own hearts and ask, do I have a rebellious spirit? Am I arrogant? 
Am I a person who has to be in charge? Am I a person that wants to always have the power and control? You know, I, I've always said this. I, I've been in various leadership positions for a, a long time, much of my life. And I don't say that arrogantly. It's just an observation. But what is interesting, I can think back through occasions. I'll give you an illustration of this in a moment where I, I have never purposefully set out to seize control or to seize a position of authority. They've always been the authority. Leadership has always sought me out far more than I have sought out leadership. I remember when I was working on my doctorate, I was um, taking a class and they broke the class down into groups. Um, you may not know me very well, but I work best alone. Okay. I'm not a Let's collaborate, get into a group of people and do this group project. I'm not a hands-on learner. I like to read, study, hear, and digest it by myself. I don't really want the help of a group. Well, I got placed into a group, and a couple of the guys I knew and, and a couple of the guys I didn't, as I remember, there was five of us in, in this group. And we sat there, and I walked over. I sat, I scooched my chair over to this group. And I remember in my mind saying this, I will not take charge of this group. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to sit and I'm going to let somebody else take the leadership of this group. And I'm just going to be a participant. I'm not going to sit here and just be quiet. That's kind of impossible for me. Um, I, but I'm not going to take the leadership. And we sat there for a minute or so and everybody's looking at their books and you know they got their pens. These are doctoral students. These are not undergrads or even, you know, masters to go. This is guys working on their doctorate and they're sitting there and nobody would take the lead. And so eventually I said, okay, guys, look, here's what we're going to do. It's like, this has been my life. It's like, all right, nobody else is going to do it. I'll step in. Leadership is hard. It's difficult. A lot of people, however, crave it. Cora craved it. Not for God's glory, but for his own. That's the heart of a rebel. Where is it in your life that God has given you clear commandment and you're saying to yourself, God, I'm not doing that. And it may not be a rebellion against a leader. It may not be rebellion against a person. It may just be outright rebellion against God. God, you have no right to tell me how to live my life. Actually, God has every right to tell you how to live your life because he's God. And so assess your heart today. Are you harboring a heart, an attitude of rebellion? I pray, that, I pray that through the next day or so, you would take an account of your heart and see what level of rebellion rests in your soul. And then come back next week, and we're going to talk about an attitude of submissiveness, what it is and what it isn't. And we'll talk about that next time. Thank you for joining us, and I would encourage you, by the way, to go ahead and read the rest of that account of Korah and his cohorts as they rebel against God and Moses, and uh, read through the rest of number 16 uh, today and get a little bit more information about what happened in that chapter. Thank you once again for joining us, and let me pray with you very briefly before we go. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness, and forgive us for those times that we do rebel against you. Help us to live in honor and obedience to you and to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful night.